Have you ever heard something like this? You touch God's anointed. That's why in Psalm 105, one, one, uh, verse 15, touch not God's anointed. Or what about this? Let me tell you something. You better not rise up against a man of God. You're going to get God in a killing mood. If you have, then you may want to listen to this. two of the poking stick podcast what you just heard was a very common expression used by pastors to manipulate their congregations to believe that it is a sin to ever speak against their pastor or to ever correct their pastor and that expression is touch not the lord's anointed or touch not god's anointed or something along those same lines now it is a phrase that pastors have been using and are using to really create an environment within their church that leads to no accountability to no boundaries and no restrictions put on the pastor and it allows them to have free reign to do as they please and to say what they want and do what they want but the expression touch not the lord's anointed really does not have any scriptural backing the phrase itself is found in scripture you can find it in first chronicles 16:22 and kind of in first samuel 24:6 but the context of those two passages is not talking about the pastor or a congregation member correcting their pastor. In 1 Chronicles 16.22, you find the phrase, touch not my anointed ones. And that's in the context of Israel's history and God making the statement that the anointed people or the chosen people of God should not be harmed. No harm should be done against the Israelites. And then you get to 1 Samuel 24.6, and that's in the context of David refusing to kill Saul. And he says, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. He's referring to Saul there. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Now, when a king was chosen for Israel, he was anointed with oil, and therefore he became the Lord's anointed. Now, neither of these passages are talking about a pastor. They're not talking about a church setting, but they are talking about either God's anointed chosen people or God's anointed chosen king, all in the greater context of Israel, not the local church. So why is it that so many people are taking this idea of touch not mine anointed or not hurting the Lord's anointed and removing it from its proper context and using it in this way? Well, I believe it really is rooted in a sense of pride that pastors have or a sense of superiority that they feel towards their congregation. But ultimately, I believe it comes from a misunderstanding of what the office of the pastor really is. Uh, to put it in layman's terms, people get too big for their britches. And if we're going to keep the idea of touch not my anointed ones and not touching the Lord's anointed in its proper context, the word touch holds the connotation of striking someone or laying a hand on someone in a violent sense. So for a pastor to get up and say, touch not the Lord's anointed if he's being true to the original meaning, then he's saying, you should not hurt me physically, you should not hit me or strike me, which is really 
really a given, and there are plenty of other verses that you can use to communicate that same point without having to take some Old Testament passage about the kings of Israel out of context. But I don't believe that these pastors are afraid of their congregation members coming up and physically harming them. If we're being real, this is a matter of pastors not wanting to be accountable, so they have this get-out-of-jail-free card, which is touch not the Lord's anointed, anytime that they don't want to be corrected or anytime that they don't want to be held accountable for their actions. It has nothing to do with physical violence or physical protection. It has to do with power, and pastors want power when they use this expression. So what I'd like to do today is take a look at the office of the pastor and try to understand what it is, what it is not, how much authority do they have, are they actually untouchable, how do we correct a pastor when they're in sin, and kind of all these different elements of the office itself. And also, I want to take a look at the gift of pastoring and ultimately our function as individual members of the church. Now, to understand the office of the overseer, the best place to begin is 1 Timothy 3.1, which says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the key word here is overseer, which comes from the word episkopos. It could also be translated as bishop, and it literally means overseer or holds the connotation of oversight. So according to 1 Timothy 3, the role of the pastor is one that is an overseer, somebody who is making sure the church is running smoothly, he's leading it well, he's overseeing financial responsibilities, the spiritual well-being of the people, and really it seems like the position of the pastor is an administrative position. It's an office that someone can hold. And nowhere in the passage does it speak about how the office of the overseer is some sort of spiritually superior position that someone can achieve, and that once they achieve that and obtain that office, that they are now spiritually untouchable and that they are the Lord's anointed. It is really just an office that qualified people can obtain. And if you continue to read through chapter 3, you see those qualifications laid out. So really, if anybody meets those qualifications, they are fit to be a pastor. And that's all that really takes place. There's no anointing that happens. There's no spiritual phenomenon that happens. It's simply, are you qualified? Yes or no. If you are, great. You are fit to fulfill this role. And that role ultimately is to lead a group of people and to oversee a local assembly of believers. But we have to understand that the pastor himself is just one part of a bigger body. He is not the be-all, end-all within the church. He is not the superior Christian that has the final authority on all things. Absolutely not. He is just a part of the program, and it just so happens that his office is one of leadership. I feel like we can kind of have an almost mysticism when it comes to the pulpit, and we feel as believers that the position of pastor is something that only one person can obtain at a time, and that it's so special, and that there's kind of this appointed person that has to be the pastor, rather than it being an office that anybody who is qualified can fill. Uh, it's not the papacy. It's not like we have this divine appointment to our pulpit. It is a role that needs to be filled within the body of Christ.
Now, I understand that not everybody will be a pastor, but I believe that every man should be qualified to be a pastor, even though they don't fulfill that specific role. Just because the qualification of the overseer is actually a very noble life to live, it's a higher standard to achieve, and it's a good life. God does not allow just anybody to be a pastor, according to his word. Now, unfortunately, people do slip in even though they aren't qualified, and that's a topic for another day. But this is all to say that I believe that every man should be qualified to step up and fulfill the role of the pastor at any moment. So in summary, the office of the pastor is really an administrative position within the church that has a teaching element built in. So ultimately, the pastor is accountable to God to lead the church well, but to also feed the flock, and that is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, not his traditions, not his ideas, but the Word of God. And he is responsible to submit to the head of the church, which is Christ. The office of the pastor itself does not indicate any type of spiritual superiority or any type of favor in the eyes of God. It means that he is, or at least he should be, a qualified person who is there to meet a need. This is why I believe it's important to understand spiritual gifts, because just like you and me, the pastor is there to serve alongside his brothers and sisters to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has produced within him to equip and edify the bride of Christ. We are all on the same team, and when a pastor gets up and says, Touch not the Lord's anointed, as if he is separate from the people, as if he is not equal with his brothers and sisters in Christ, then it's just absolutely neglecting the idea that we are one body with one Lord, one Spirit, one God. Now, I want to be clear that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. What Paul is saying here is that there's not a single member within the body of Christ that is more valuable than another. There's not a single member in the body of Christ whose role or whose gifts is less important than another's. Each member of the body of Christ is equally valuable in the work of Christ. So this means that not a single person can stand up and say that I am more important, or my office is more important, or that I am more spiritually significant than you, because everybody is equal in the body of Christ. Now, following the same thought process, this would mean that everybody is equally responsible to be held accountable to the Word of God including your pastor. So when a pastor gets up and says, touch not the Lord's anointed, and he means that you cannot speak against me, you cannot raise your hand against me and critique me or criticize me or correct me, then they are going against the principle that God has laid out for his body, that everybody is equal to each other. And it just would not make sense that some members are special and some members should not be corrected because of the office or the capacity that they serve in. And while we are talking about spiritual gifts, I want to make a 
quick distinction here. We've already talked about the office of the pastor, which is discussed in 1 Timothy 3, but I want to talk about the gift of pastoring, and that is found in Ephesians 4, 11 through 17. And the Bible says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, in Ephesians 4, verse 11, you see just a handful of the spiritual gifts that we find in the Bible. I don't believe that there is a complete list of gifts laid out in Scripture. I think there are many more that aren't listed, but you have a good understanding of what the spiritual gifts are based off of what you can find in the Bible. Now, in this passage, you see apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and we're going to highlight the gift of pastoring. This would come in the form of somebody being gifted in the ability to lead a group of people or to oversee something. Also, they would be gifted in the ability to teach and feed that group of people. Again, it's that gift of being a leader and overseer of a group of people. This is different from the office. As we understand with the office, there are specific qualifications to be an overseer. Uh, primarily, the office of the overseer is a gender-specific office, but the gift of pastoring is not gender-specific. The only requirement for somebody to have the gift of pastoring is that they have the Holy Spirit. And if they have the Holy Spirit, i.e. they are a regenerated believer, then they are able to cultivate the gift of pastoring through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's true that there are some who hold the office of the pastor, but do not have the gift of pastoring. On the other side of the spectrum, there are people who have the gift of pastoring, but do not have the office of the pastor. So these could be Sunday school teachers or ministry leaders, really anybody who is shepherding a group of people. Now, this is to say that the office of the overseer is not a spiritual gift. It's not some sort of anointing that is poured out upon somebody, but rather it is a simple office that any qualified person can hold. And it should be noted that even the gift of pastoring is not a qualification to hold the office. So the pastors that get up and act like they have inherited some super-duper special office that only super-duper special people can have really, just to put it in layman's terms, need to get over themselves. The Bible is clear. The one that desires the office of the overseer desires a noble task. To be a pastor is a noble task. To be qualified to be a pastor is a very noble thing, but it is an obtainable thing. It is not an anointing from heaven, and the people that act like it is 
like I said before, are just too big for their britches. And the turkeys that get up and say, touch not the Lord's anointed, need to go back to the Bible and understand that they have desired a noble task of fulfilling an office, and they should use that office to exercise their spiritual gifts to equip and edify their brothers and sisters. If they're just using it to be the top guy and be in charge of everybody else, then they've missed the point. Of course, they are there to oversee and to lead and be an administrator, but above all, they are a fellow laborer with their brothers and sisters. Jesus said this to his disciples, do not be called rabbi or master, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Jesus is not speaking against titles per se, but he is speaking against pride that comes with titles. So in our context, there's nothing wrong with being called pastor, but there is something terrible with pride that comes with being a pastor. And as I said before, the whole heart of the touch not the Lord's anointed deal is pride. It is a refusal to be treated like an equal because they want to be held accountable to no one. But Jesus says, hey, your goal is not to obtain a title. Your goal is to humble yourself and be a servant, because the one who deserves to be exalted is the one who is in heaven. And if I have not said it enough, when a pastor exalts himself as the quote-unquote man of God, then he is going against scripture. There's nothing in the Bible that exalts the man himself because of his position. And I can say this because Jesus said it's not about the position you have. When John the Baptist was asked about Jesus' ministry, he said, you know what, I can't have any of this unless it comes from heaven, and to hear the message of Christ brings me so much joy that, you know what, he must increase, but actually I should decrease, and that should be the heart of every pastor, that Christ should increase and they should decrease, but again, when you start to elevate yourself by saying, touch not the Lord's anointed because I am the man of God, then you are going against so much scripture. So what do we do? Well, first of all, if your pastor is getting up and saying, touch not the Lord's anointed, touch not God's anointed, or I'm the man of God, then be very careful. The best thing you can do is to be aware of what is going on. Know the context behind the statement and understand what the Bible is really saying about your pastor and his position. Now, let's say your pastor is using the touch not the Lord's anointed deal as an excuse to live in sin or to do things that are not right. Well, thankfully, the Bible actually lays out guidelines for correcting a pastor, which is kind of the cherry on top in this whole thing because... Isn't it crazy 
how the people who teach and preach the Bible claim that they are the Lord's anointed, therefore they cannot be corrected. But the Bible itself has guidelines for correcting pastors. So somebody's got to be wrong. Either it's God's word or the pastors who are saying, touch not the Lord's anointed, and I'm going to side with the word of God being right in this matter. So here's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5. The Bible says in verse 19, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So if you think back to Matthew 18 that talks about confronting a brother who has offended you, you begin with confronting them one-on-one, -on -one, but before there's ever a charge made, you have to have witnesses, and this is following the same thought process here. Before you ever accept a charge against a pastor, you need to have evidence from multiple witnesses. This is just wisdom in practice, because if we're being real, we should understand that any person in a prominent leadership position is at risk of being accused of something, either rightfully or receiving a false accusation. And pastors are not exempt. So not only is it wise to do this, but it is scriptural to do it. So before you ever confront your pastor on his sin, you should have witnesses. You should have two or three witnesses with evidence to say, hey, this is going on and this is not right. But if they persist in sin, then you should rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest of the people may stand in fear. So if they persist, even though you have the evidence, maybe they've been confronted by the two or three, but they persist, then you need to correct them in the presence of all, so that the congregation can see and learn from it, and ultimately not repeat the same sins that were committed by the pastor. So, if anything, 1 Timothy 5 should give you enough evidence to see that touch not the Lord's anointed is bogus, because the Bible gives you instruction in how you should correct and speak against a pastor who is sinning. But we would be foolish not to touch on what we should do with the pastors who are doing their job well, who are leading well in serving in the office the right way. Well, in the same passage where it talks about correcting your pastor, it actually begins by saying, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. The Bible also says in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I had said before that the office of the pastor is something that can be obtained by qualified people, but I also said that the people who desire it desire a noble thing, and that's straight from Scripture. And I also noted that the people who are qualified to even do it have led a noble life. Before they are even able to take the office of the pastor, they have done a lot of good. Now, the pastors who do well at their job, and they oversee the church well, and they preach and teach the word of God well, and they are a good administrator. 
The Bible says that these people are worthy of double honor. So this means that they are worthy of the respect and the honor that is due to somebody who is respectable. It is due to somebody who is doing their job well. And there's also a financial element here because the Bible says that you should not muzzle the ox that is treading the grain, which means that if somebody is putting in that much work and they're doing such a good job, well, you need to pay them because a laborer is worth his wages. Another part of that in Hebrews is that when a pastor is doing his job well, we need to obey and submit to them so long as they are obeying and submitting to the Word of God and ultimately the head of the church, which is Christ. And compounded on top of that, we should make their job a joyful experience. So when we are a pain in the neck, we're ultimately making their job more difficult and that is no advantage to us. So we are responsible to honor the pastors who do it right. But these people who are doing their job well and are overseeing the church in the right way are such a stark contrast to the people who stand up and demand respect solely because they hold the office of the pastor. Honestly, to demand respect is one of the least respectable things that you can do. And to scare your congregation into respecting you because you have this extra biblical principle that you impose upon them, again, fear is the lowest form of motivation. So if you are just scaring your people into respecting you, again, you are not doing your job well. So I just take a step back and look at it and I realize that I cannot believe that people have been saying this whole touch not the Lord's anointed thing for so long and that so many people have bought it. In my own life, people have looked at me and said that I should never speak against a man of God. And it just blows my mind when you take that principle and you hold it in the light of scripture, just how many holes there are in the statement alone. So I want to be clear. Good pastors deserve honor. Good pastors deserve wages. Good pastors deserve people who obey and submit and follow with support. Good pastors deserve these things. But the people who get up and demand respect and use scripture out of context to get it do not deserve any of that. And in fact, I would say they deserve to be corrected according to the First Timothy 5 principle. So in summary, I just want to say that the office of the pastor is a noble pursuit, but it is an obtainable thing, and I believe that pastors should be using their position to equip and edify the men in their church to be qualified to serve in that same capacity, because it is such a noble life to live, and I believe that if any man can get up and fill the pulpit at a moment's notice because they are qualified, then the health of your church is going to be phenomenal. But I also want to talk about the people who cannot serve in that capacity. That is okay because you are equally valuable in the body of Christ. Your gifts, your services, your ministry opportunities are just as valuable because we are all brethren, as Jesus said. That is our relationship. Francis Schaeffer commented on Matthew 23, 8 when Jesus said, All ye are brethren. And he said this, this does not mean there is to be no order in the church. 
it does mean that the basic relationship between Christians is not that of elder and people or pastor and people, but that of brothers and sisters in Christ. And if there's one thing that I could leave with you, it's that we are ultimately brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter the office you hold, no matter the position you serve in, no matter your gifts, your abilities, we are ultimately brothers and sisters, and we should be looking at each other through the lens of equality rather than through the lens of the position or the title that we have. And unfortunately, Touch not the Lord's anointed is a statement that totally topples all of that over and does away with it because it is self-centered and focuses more on the title rather than their identity in the body of Christ. And if there are any of you out there who believe that touch not the Lord's anointed is a legitimate thing and that it should be said by pastors, I encourage you to change your mind and ultimately stop saying it. But other than that, thank you for listening and I hope you come back next time. Again, this is Corey Woodard signing off from the Poking Stick Podcast. See ya.